Welcome to Paddling the Blue. With each episode, we talk with guests from the Great Lakes and around the globe who are doing cool things related to sea kayaking. I'm your host, my name is John Chase, and let's get started Paddling the Blue. Welcome to today's episode of Paddling the Blue. Mike Conroy joins us for today's episode of the Paddling the Blue podcast, and today we're going to talk about his trips, but even more so, we'll talk about the deliberate process that Mike has mapped out to reach his goals. Now get ready for a fun interview with an everyday paddler who has set his mind to a project and is making it happen. But before we get to our chat with Mike, James and Simon at OnlineSeaKayaking.com continue to produce great content to help you evolve as a paddler and as a coach. Everything from basic strokes and safety to paddling in tides, surfing, coaching, documentaries, the new ones, first aid for paddlers, and yoga for paddlers, it's all in one place. If you're not already a subscriber to OnlineSeaKayaking.com, here's your opportunity to get started. Just visit OnlineSeaKayaking.com and use the coupon code PTBPODCAST at checkout and you'll get 10% off up to 12 months of your subscription investment. And Level 6 continues to be a great supporter of the Paddling the Blue podcast, and we've got a special offer just for you. If you'd like to pick up some great Level 6 dryware or other kit, visit their website at level6.com and use the coupon code PTBPODCAST at checkout for 10% off your order. With that, enjoy today's episode with Mike Conroy. Hello, Mike. Welcome to Paddling the Blue today. Hello, John. It's an absolute pleasure to be on the show. Well, thank you. So you are a circumnavigation specialist at Loopy Sea Kayaking. So tell me how you got that title. Oh, well, I have got a rather peculiar sense of uh, humor. So, so when <laughs> I retired, I had to put something other than technical architect. So I just came up with that on a whim, really. <laughs> well, that's a fun one. And, uh, and you've certainly lived up to the, uh, to the name over the past, uh, past few months. So before we get into your trip today, tell us a little bit about how you got your start as a paddler. Right. Well, uh, uh, as we might find out later in the show, I'm a bit of a, an affectionado of your show. And I've listened to nearly all the episodes. Well, thank you. So I know a lot of people from Britain started in the Scouts and started in cheap inflatable dinghies <laughs> so I, i'm afraid that I, I was rather intimidated by my first encounter with the scouts it was too noisy and it was too regimented so i ran a, ran home to my mum cried and never went again ah. <laughs> but but for a bit of variety I, I actually started my water adventures with the inner tubes of trucks okay so where i was brought up in in hatfield which is about 20 miles north of London. We're a long way from the sea and uh, it's an urban environment. So the only chance I had really to get on the water was our annual holiday where we went down to uh, southwest England, a place called Wembury, and we used to spend two weeks there and that used to be absolute heaven. And, you know, we weren't wealthy at the time. So I think dad supplied us. <laughs> he got hold of these inner tubes somewhere. And we used to mess around on, on there on them before we graduated to the dinghies and we gave dad a, a terrible fright uh, on many occasions you know one of my earliest recollections is him running along the rocks as we were blown out to sea and he somehow managed to kind of save us from needing rescue uh, <laughs> i think that was probably about 10 or 12 I've been checking this out with, with my brother and father because my memory of, of events that, that far back is, is very poor. 
So apparently when I was about 14, 15, there was my, my brother and a friend. I don't know what, why we got up to this, but we decided to go for a kind of 10 mile expedition, expedition down the local river again in a couple of dinghies. And we never quite got to the, the end des destination. My dad set out to find us. And it turned out that we'd stopped because there was enormous great weir there, which uh, it was a good job. We had sense not to try and go down it. <laughs> and uh, at that stage, one of the dinghies was sinking and uh, we'd been chased by a farmer with a shotgun. So <laughs> that, was, that was quite eventful. And I think what the same year when we, when we went back to Wembury, I actually did my first circumnavigation again in a dinghy. Okay. There's an island about two kilometers off Wembury, and I just on a whim. I, I think it well, it was a beautiful day. I disappeared, and my my family were going, "What on earth is he doing?" And I went all the way around the island and came back. And they're not very fast those dinghies. Yeah. The, the reason I remember it is because I got the most terrible sunburn on the side of my arms. So that, that was it for, for quite some years until I went to university in Southampton. Again, I, I'd chosen to live by the sea. I, I kind of, I always yearned to do that. I eventually joined the canoe club and that was it. I was, then followed a period of 10 years where every opportunity I was going off at weekends and, and on summer holidays, paddling first on the local river and then graduating to trips abroad, white water paddling uh, in the Alps, and then further afield. And that period lasted about 10 years. And I tried out all sorts of different crafts. I, I switched over to Canadian paddling for a while. As, uh, this is slalom boats and uh, a bit of you know, flat water racing. We even <laughs> culminated in a Canadian white water two-man boat. And the thinking behind that was we could go to competition and there'd only about only be about three entries there's a good chance of us winning and going up to the next level to get on more exciting water <laughs> so then i uh, i was married by then and we had kids and i settled down and it the kayaking more or less stopped uh, for about 20 years and what restarted it was a phone call from my then grown-up son, who was at Lancaster University, I've got three boys, okay. my middle son, he gave me a ring and he said, oh, we're off to the Alps this year, the canoe club there, and we're short of a driver. Could you do driving? And I said, yes, but on one condition. And that condition was that I could paddle as well. So after this big break, I, I went out <laughs> with a load of students and... Uh, I, I, I paddled for two seasons actually and I had a tremendous time and it was it was quite interesting to see how things had changed over you know, the intervening 20 years but it's a bit like riding a bike you, you, you don't you don't kind of lose it yeah uh, but that brings me on to a kind of one thing I'd like to bring up which is you know I, I was getting on a then I was kind of uh coming up to 60. okay you know most people are slowing down a bit by then but uh, I think in my mid forties, I was starting to get back problems. Uh, I'm six foot four tall, skinny as a rake. And it's kind of, I worked with computers and it was more or less inevitable that I got back problems. So I thought I'd do something about it. So 
I just looked up a course in the local sports center and it was yoga. And I went down one morning and it just so happened the normal teacher was away. The reserve teacher was there and the class was exactly one person, which was me. So that was quite nice, <laughs> quite <laughs> embarrassing, but and I got on the mat and I did my yoga thing. And it's just one of those moments I thought, this is good. I shall do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> Incidentally, m much later on, because I, I got to know that uh, temper instructor quite well, he said, I, I remember the first day you came in because you were a bit awkward. You sort of reminded me of a giraffe giving birth. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, me being me, I, I, if I get a bee in my bonnet about something, it's a bit like Rupert Kirkwood, who I listened to uh, just, just now, but I kind of went for it all guns blazing. And within five years, I was doing it's the type of yoga is called ashtanga yoga it is a bit full on itself anyway i ended up doing two hours a day six days a week without break for about 10 years and that totally transformed my body and i, I i'm sure that foundation has given me the ability to you know do what i do at the age of 62 and and plan to do it for a few more years that's fantastic Congratulations on, uh, on finding the way and uh, the, the thing that can keep you going. Yeah, well, I, I thought you'd be particularly inter interested in that because I know you've, yeah. you've got your own interest in, in exercising. You've actually got your book and everything. So I think something we share. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, congratulations. So so that all leads you to uh, to the trip that we're about to talk about today. And uh, so tell us about the warm-up paddle. You did a warm-up paddle along the Cornish coast getting ready for this trip. Well, I, I'll, I'll give you a little bit more of a run-in. I've, I've been on these two trips. My, my wife, who comes from Cornwall, had always hankered to go back there. So in short, we moved to Cornwall. And I was intending to work remotely. But I, I then, then COVID came along and I retired. And I was telling everybody... They're saying, what are you going to do when you retire? And I said, I'm just going to take it easy. But anyway, about a couple of months after I retired, it just suddenly came to me that I wanted to paddle around Britain. I've no idea where it came from. But as soon as that thought entered my head, I realized that I had you know, a lot of things going for me. Uh, if I wanted to do that, I had the experience whitewater paddling and I was in exactly the right location and I had the time. So, and once something clicks with me, it's, it's probably going to happen. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I had enough self-awareness to realize that I was no way ready for doing such a, a thing. Uh, and in fact, looking back on it, I was going around telling everybody that I was going to paddle around Britain and they'd all kind of give me a bit of a look. And, uh, you know, knowing what, what I know now, it's a bit like when you ask a 10 year old what he wants to do when he grows up and he says, I want to be a spaceman. You know, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of kids say that and not many of them do it. And it's the same with circumnavigations. A lot of people would like to do it and not so many end up actually getting the opportunity one way or another. So I came up just very, very quickly in the course of half a day. 
I came up with a plan, which was uh, a to paddle around Cornwall, which was I don't know three hundred miles, and I, I I wanted to do it this that that very year, so I I had about two or three months to prepare for that, so that was a bit of a rush, and then I thought, well I can't just then go and paddle around Britain. I need something as an intermediate step. And I came up with a route that uh, involved going around southern Britain, which you can't just circum circumnate, uh, sorry, you can't, you can't just circumnavigate southern Britain. Right. Because there's a big wodge of land in, in between. <laughs> but fortunately, there is a way. So you, you can cut across from Bristol to London via a couple of rivers and a canal. Uh, one of those rivers, of course, being the River Thames. So that's what I did in 2022. Both those experiences were absolutely marvellous. With the, the circumnavigation of Cornwall, it just so happened that I had probably the best two weeks of weather that they'd had for the last uh, 30 years. And I set out in, in my second-hand boat that uh, I bought with a very old tent which broke on the first day hmm. uh, but, but fortunately i was able to use a tarp for the rest of the two weeks as the weather was so gorgeous i thought well this is lovely and, and this is quite easy actually <laughs> <laughs> so so I'll, I'll keep on doing it so then the following year I, I again i again was incredibly fortunate because well the country wasn't fortunate because it, it was an absolute drought season but in terms of weather for paddling, it was uh, rather nice. And the, the distance I covered was uh, the, the same as going around Ireland. And although I was meant to be kind of taking it easy, but for one reason or other, I always found that I had various places to get to. And I ended up kind of rushing around quite a lot, which I do like kind of on and off because it makes it a bit more exciting. So the Southern Britain uh, journey was about the same distance as around Ireland. Yes, yes. Right. And uh, it's it's not something, to my knowledge, that anyone's done before. And it's kind of unique because you had that kind of inland crossing as well as you know, going around the coast. Right. So uh, there's an actual race that, that does half of the inland course. It's the most famous canoeing race in 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 the UK, it's called the Devizes to Westminster, which uh, uh, various people that have been on the show have, have probably referenced. Mm -hmm. And there's there's 125 locks uh, on the <laughs> the River Avon, which uh, I had to portage with a, a half loaded sea kayak because I, I managed to get rid of a lot of stuff apart from my tent. And then you kind of go down the River Thames, which is great because you've got uh, you have manned locks so you can go along and there's a little man comes out and he presses a button and the, the doors open and in you go and you wait for the water to fill up and then press the button again so that that feels uh like your royalty <laughs> getting that treatment and then there was one tremendous day when i thought i did not want to wild camp in the middle of london it wasn't you know, it didn't seem like a very good place to do it so uh, I got to a place called Teddington Lock, uh, which is the start of the tidal Thames, and uh, paddled f 
for about eight hours all the way past the Thames barrier through central London. And it's uh, it's just a marvellous paddle. A, you've got massive tidal assist. It, it, it really does help you along quite yeah. quite well. But you're passing such iconic sites, the, you know, the Houses of Parling, Parliament, Tower Bridge, Greenwich, it just goes on and on. And it was a beautiful sunny day. You're also dodging these great big, they've got this fast ferries, which are hydrofoils, okay. which are really big. They're big as three London buses and they go at a hell of a lick and uh, create a massive wash. So it's, it's, it's not plain sailing. <laughs> you, you've got to, you've got to keep your eyes open. So that, that's something that uh, stayed in my memory for a long time. Yeah. And out, out in the, the Thames estuary itself, there's, there's some rather interesting sites. Uh, for instance, there are some kind of structures they built, which are basically towers on legs, a bit like oil rigs, mm -hmm. but they're in clumps of about 10. And they were built as uh, gunnery platforms for sh shooting down the, uh, the ordnance that was coming over from uh, Germany in World War Two. So it and they're about 10 miles off off the coast so paddling out to those is is quite special yeah i think i've seen pictures of those i think kind of like a mushroom shaped uh, structure well no no that they let their legs fan out a bit like a electricity pylon if you see what i mean yeah yeah so uh, yeah kind of mushroomy okay uh i think i've seen them in uh old episodes of doctor who which was a sci-fi program where they sure the, uh, the aliens would run around and chase the, the doctor yeah. <laughs> and then the, the whole a large sections of the south coast of england are are very built up but i used it as an opportunity to you know quite often i'd stop in at lunchtime and have a wander around uh, these towns so yeah I, I you know rather than saying oh this is pretty bad there's no wilderness uh, I'm, i i took made the most of the opportunity and 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 it's very different arriving at a town from the sea than it is from the road, because if you come at a town from the road, you end up being pushed to the edge of the town on a huge horrible car park, and it's just not very nice. Whereas, if you come into the, you always come into the old part of a town or a city where there's a harbour and it's quite often tucked away, and it's usually the most beautiful, most historic, most interesting part. So I, I absolutely love that. So now, how long did that trip take you? That took me oh, about eight weeks, I think. Okay. Oh, no, six weeks. I can't remember. Yeah. Okay. It, it, yeah. I, the weather was so good. I think I only lost about five or six days along the way. All right. Now, yeah, now you're, you mentioned it was at the same distance as the Ireland trip, but the Ireland trip took you a little longer. And we'll talk a little bit about that. And, and what was it that caused that time? I know there were some, uh, some couple of factors along the way for that one. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that the, the uh, it, it's quite interesting to compare and contrast the, uh, the two experiences, actually. Yeah. Now your, uh, your, your Cornish coast trip, you did that for a, uh, for a cause, correct? Well, yes. Uh, I mean, the main cause was because I wanted to. Okay. Then it occurred to occurred to me that uh, people get sponsored for five mile walks and things like that. So right. I thought paddling a thousand miles ought to be worth you know a few pennies for charity. So 
and at the time I was, I was in quite a rush so I thought well what should I do and I picked uh, uh, Serpents Against Sewage which I know other people have, have picked mm-hmm. uh, so I raised a bit of money for them and then when I went around southern England I thought oh I've got a bit more time to think about it so then I realised that my friends and relatives had all sorts of connections to charities so I, I did Surface Against Sewage and St. Petrox, which was a homeless charity that my parents-in-law were involved with. Okay. And uh, then another charity, which uh, my cousins were involved, which is to do with breast cancer. And I, I yeah, I kind of pushed the boat out because once I get into something, I like to do it properly. So that was one of the reasons I tried so hard to... Uh, raise my profile on social media, which is you know, one of the characteristics of my kind of my style of circumnavigation, I think. Uh, but part of me thinks it's just gives me an excuse to show off. But uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so Ireland then is a stepping stone um, for you towards the, the ultimate trip, the end trip of circumnavigating um, Britain. Well, yes, uh, it, it wasn't in the original plan, but uh, after I'd finished the Southern England one, I'd almost, I almost kind of gave up. I, I kind of, at the end, I thought that was, that was great, but I'm not sure if I want to do it anymore, but it's always good to reflect on these things. And a bit later I thought, yeah, uh, I've got nothing better to do. <laughs> I'll do another one. <laughs> and, and then I thought, well, I, I'm getting on a bit and various kind of subsystems are starting to fail. So uh, I do fancy doing Ireland and I've got a notion it might even be more taxing on the body than, than doing Britain. Now I've subsequently concluded that's probably incorrect, but anyhow, yeah. Cause I imagine going around the, the South, the West coast of Ireland would be constantly landing in 10 foot surf and getting bashed around. Uh, so I thought, yeah, let, let's do that while I still can. And that was, yeah, that was the rationale. And it also seemed like another kind of good stepping stone to doing Great Britain, if you okay. see what I mean. All right. Now you're doing these in, in pretty quick succession. I mean, uh, was it 2021 that you did the Cornwall? Uh, is that right? Oh, well, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's no gaps, but, okay. you know, I am 62. So <laughs> in 10 years' time, I'm 72. And if I'm still going, you know, uh, I'd be, have to be very, very lucky to still be going and even contemplating such trips at that age. So, you know, time is of the essence, as it were. After I completed the the Cornish uh, trip, it was lovely, but it didn't really challenge me. And I didn't feel, I felt a lot more confident about uh, camping because... Uh, that worried me more than the paddling, to be honest, because I hadn't camped probably for 10 or 15 years in a small tent and I'd never wild camped. So mm. that is quite a hurdle, really, if you're not used to it. But having had such good weather conditions, I thought, right, I, you know, now I've got now I've got that out of the way. I've got a bit of time to uh, get my act together and upskill. So I booked on a sea kayaking course with sea kayaking cornwall i managed to find a chap a local chap called scott wood who paddles ocean skis okay and 
he's very, very good at it. And he trains people uh, for free. You go along <laughs> and you try and keep up with him. <laughs> uh, and he, he's been doing this all his life. And he's absolutely solid guy. And I thought I was pretty decent at going faster than the kayak until I started paddling with him and, and, and the, the, the lads and ladies he, he trains. And so over, over that winter, I learned how to really paddle properly. And my fitness levels, you know, just went better than I'd ever been. And that really got me into shape for doing circumnavigation. So that's step one. The other thing I was doing was casting around for information. I managed to find Paddling the Blue podcast. And that, you know, that has really given me a lot of very, very useful information and inspiration, which is just as important. So uh, I found out about John Willisey, who runs Performance Sea Kayak, and you've, you've had, had him on the show. And so I, I started rooting around on that website, and I found all these little challenges you could do. Yeah. So uh, one of them was to do 100, 100 kilometers in a day. So I set out and I did that and it took me 13 hours. And at the end of it, I thought, well, that kind of, I'm a bit sore, but it was okay. Uh, and I, I, I really didn't know whether I could, you know, last in a kite for more than three or four hours without becoming too achy or whatever. So that experience, proved that I could and another thing I'd uh, booked up for was the Anglesey uh, Sea Kayaking Symposium Anglesey being the UK matter mm -hmm. for sea kayaking which so off I, off I went to there and just before I messaged John I said because John lives up there I said yeah. oh I'm off to Anglesey I might be able to bump into you and I said I'm I'm thinking of doing a circumnavigation of uh, Anglesey over two or three days. And I just posted with him, I'd done 100K. And he said, oh, why don't you do, do it in one day? And I just didn't have the confidence to do that because it's 120 kilometers, I think. But because it was John who suggested it, that <laughs> made, made all the difference. So I thought, oh, I'll give it a crack then. Challenge now, accepted. Yes, but normally... For instance, I did the Isle of Wight when I uh, got back from the southern England trip, and I spent three days with spreadsheets planning the tides and everything to do it right. Well, it was two days before I went to the to the trip, and I was getting all my gear ready, so I had exactly an hour and a half to plan the whole thing. So I got out a map and a ruler and a pen, and I planned it. So off I went to the symposium, and it rained all day, and the next day I set off at kind of what was it four in the morning or something and i actually got there on time you know according to plan but it was so blooming dark i couldn't actually get on the water so i ended up setting off just about half an hour three quarters of an hour too late and i was paddling around and it was all going well but I, I was slowly getting further and further behind the schedule and i thought you know, three quarter no, a quarter of the way around. I thought that's it. I've had it. I've missed the tide. I'm not going to make it. And uh, I kind of wasn't used to <laughs> not succeeding at things. <laughs> so I thought, well, I'll just keep going. And when I stop, I stop, and that's fair enough. And I'll get a taxi and sort myself out. So I just kept going, and I was always worried about the next headland. But I, 
uh, I just, it was a good, it's a very good weather day. And I was able to go very close to the cliffs and things around the headlands. And you'd see the, the tide race, you know, just, just 20, 30 yards off. And uh, it, it didn't stop you. So I just kept going. And 19 hours later, <laughs> which was, uh, you know, I'd been paddling for about 13. Okay. Uh, so I'd, I had to paddle the last three hours in the dark. I finished. So if you look on the on the performance sea kayak website, I think I've got the slowest uh, slowest ever circumnavigation <laughs> of. Uh... But uh, joking aside, that is a kind of real bedrock of confidence, because I've heard other people say on your broadcasts that uh, when you start getting tired, you've still got sixty percent. You know, of endurance left mm -hmm. uh, and as long as you keep eating you, you'll be happy so I, i've taken all those to heart so i had masses of food so I, I kind of believe that you can pretty much as long as you're fed you can just keep on going forever so anything less than 120k in theory i'm gonna make it that's that's the way i think you know, i wouldn't i wouldn't look at the 19 hours as the slowest i would look at it as you had the opportunity to really exceed the most <laughs> well, <laughs> however you look at it, I, I, I was glad I did it. And uh, it's it's always good to try. It's always good to try. And you always learn something. Uh, and it was it was great fun. Good. Uh, a, a fantastic experience. Good. So then we move on to Ireland. And so you started your trip in Scotland and you finished via the Isle of Man. So why Scotland and why Isle of Man? Right. So firstly, if you're going to do any crossings and circumnavigations, uh, what I do is head to the poor performance sea kayak uh, website and mm -hmm. find out what people have done before. So people from England quite often go up to a place called Port Patrick, which is the second closest place uh, from the British mainland to, to Ireland. You can go further up to Scotland, but that's another kind of five or six hours drive from where I was in Cornwall. So mm -hmm. I didn't want to subject, subject my wife to that. <laughs> and plan A was to get the ferry because I thought the chances of the weather being good enough for me to make that crossing were kind of you know nine, nine to one against. But because I'm a lucky chap, conditions were fine. So I thought I thought it's a good way to start the trip. So, uh, yeah. I, I rocked up and got on my boat and paddled across. And it was, uh, you know, when I, when I talked to people on, on the island of Ireland, if I wanted to impress them, I, I'd say I paddled from Scotland. But compared to some of the other paddles I had, it, it wasn't an exceptional paddling. <laughs> so had you done a crossing of that length prior? I, well, again, I had. When I came back from southern England, there's a couple of things that I hadn't ticked off in my kind of local local vicinity. One of was one of them was the Isle of Wight uh, circumnavigation. So as soon as I got the weather for that, I nipped over there and popped around there and got got quite a good time. I was pleased with that. And the other one was the crossing to the Scilly Isles, which is 45 kilometres. Okay. And, and that was a good one because it's quite a small target, the Scilly Isles, and the uh, there's no mountains or anything on them, so you can't see them until you're relatively close. And there's tides and stuff around the land's end. So 
I got some beautiful weather and I headed off and it, I don't know, probably took me about 10 hours to get out there, camped the night and paddled back the next day. So again, that was a great confidence builder. Sure. So I, I figured paddling over to, to Ireland from Scotland wasn't too bad. I mean, it's meant to be kind of scary tides and stuff, but uh, you kind of suck it in the sea, really. All right. So it's a good warm up for you then. Well, yes, I, I, I also <laughs> was, I, I was also conscious that I didn't have to do it. And if I, if I'd made a, a hash of it or I'd kind of, you know, uh, pulled a muscle or something like that on the first day, it would be a pretty stupid thing to do. So I, <laughs> I took it fairly easy and, and, uh, I ended up landing on a place called the Copeland Islands. So it was my, one of the, the signatures of, of going around Ireland is there's, there's a thousand islands off the coast of Ireland. And, uh, that's, that's one thing that makes it real fun. And the very first thing I saw was a no camping sign, uh, <laughs> which I kind of, I landed on the beach, I put my head up and I couldn't see any houses. So I kind of ignored it. Did you keep track of the number of islands that you circumnavigated on the Ireland trip? Uh, oh, I, I did start making a list. I think it's something around 30. Okay. I probably, uh, you know, sometimes I just stop off for lunch and sometimes I'd, I'd be stuck for, a, you know, two or three days and often I'd spend a night there. Uh, but the further I got on, the more opportunity there was for stopping on islands and the more I wanted to do it. But sorry, I, I've just, <laughs> I've just remembered I, another bit of, I, I haven't answered why I started in Scotland. It's got, I wanted to do the East Coast first because the East Coast is more sheltered, there's less exposed headland and it's a really good kind of not well warm up. Yeah, it is a warm up for doing the South Coast where you start to get a bit more exposed, you start to get more headlands. And then the West Coast, where it kind of really kicks off. So okay. it's a really good build up in terms of endurance and fitness. But it also means the experience gets better and better because the coast gets more interesting and there's coast conditions and the wildlife and the scenery. It just kind of ramps up. So, so you went clockwise around the island? Yes. yes okay. Yes. All right. Now, speaking of islands, just, you know, we talked about the island just a minute ago. And as a challenge minded person, you know, you mentioned that you did about 30 islands on the way around, not to throw another challenge at you, but if there's a thousand, that means you've got 970 more islands to do. Well, uh, <laughs> interesting, interesting. Uh, I, I, I would love to go back to Ireland. I, I absolutely love the country. I love the people. The scenery is fantastic. The weather's awful, <laughs> <laughs> but I've, I've got a few other little things I, I need to kind of tick off first in my little kind of uh, I spy book of canoeing adventures. All right. So on your way around, uh, you said the, the the conditions and the weather start to ramp up. So as you move around the south and around to the west, of so tell us kind of that progression as you move around the south to the west uh, in terms of conditions. Well. Uh, there's a big proviso in this because wherever you are, if, if, if the weather kicks up, it's, it's going to be tricky. Mm -hmm. So every circumnavigation is, is totally different. You might find people that get a real bashing on the East coast. And then if a high pressure system comes in, 
they might sail along the west coast and it's happy days and what's the drama mm-hmm. but it just so happened on my trip that the first three, i think the first 20 days paddling day after day after day there was a high pressure on the west coast they were having absolutely gorgeous weather uh it wasn't so nice on the east coast it was onshore winds and it was quite chilly actually for summer but uh anyway i made steady progress and i was doing my normal style of trip which was kind of hiding away when i could and avoiding meeting people (laughs) (laughs) actually i as i said i've listened to lots of uh paddling the blue episodes and thank you you would you would often say say to your guest well it's meeting the people that really makes these trips interesting and i'd always be really annoyed (laughs) i wasn't very good at meeting people (laughs) but uh this this was ireland we're talking about and uh when i got round the southern coast I had my first kind of mini disaster, which was I'd, I'd run out of battery on one of my power packs and uh, I switched to my reserve and that was dead. So I put out, put out on Facebook that uh, where could I get a power pack? And then a bit later, I stopped at a place called Tremor, which is a seaside town. And I was going from pillar to post trying to find somewhere to, to buy a power pack. And then suddenly my phone went and it was somebody I didn't know on the on the end of the phone on on Messenger, and they said, "Do you want a power pack?" And I normally I'd say no, but I was getting desperate, so I said <laughs> yes. And they said, "What size do you want? It big one or small? Small one?" So they said, oh, "I want a big one." He said, okay, where are you going to land? And I told him. He said, "I'll meet you there." So I thought, "Oh, that's good." <laughs> so uh, as I came in later that day to to my destination. There was a, a guy uh, with a pair of wheels that helped me kind of land on the rocks. I thought, uh-huh. oh, that's the chap. And it, it wasn't the chap. It was another chap <laughs> who, who, via Facebook, via a chap called John Hines, uh, yeah. who's been on the show, yep. who'd been following me. I, I didn't have a clue who he was, which I should have, because if I'd done my homework. So he'd, he'd seen I was having a... Well, he knew this chap called... Craig Teaworth, who lived right next to where I was landing, and he'd asked Craig if uh, he'd be kind enough to uh, meet me and put me up for the night. So, so when I actually got to the beach, there was there was Craig, there was Anthony Foley, who was provided me with a free power back and a, a bag of goodies, and there was also some of the local kayakers who'd come to meet me. <laughs> <laughs> and I started yabbering on about how good the rocks were, and they kind of thought, "What kind of weirdo has he got here?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was taken up to uh, Craig's house, and he, because he's he he runs a thing called Copper Coast Adventures. Okay. Uh, so he knows how to treat a kayaker, and he hung up all my stuff and fed me and everything. And it was just that was that was my first kind of full-on experience of the type of hospitality that you can uh, experience in Ireland because it's a great place. So that so did that start your your connection of now meeting people? Well, it did. I, th- I think what really got it going was I got to a place called Dingle, which oh, yeah. uh, is quite famous. It used to have a kind of fungi, the dolphin. and yeah. it's, it's a real kind of tourist destination for, particularly for Americans going over to. And I, cause I've got a, a decent pair of wheels 
I, I take with me that you they they come apart and I can put them in the back of the kayak. But I I've stopped bothering. I just strap them on my back these days. So I got the wheels and I when I got to Dingle I went about half a mile up the road to a hostel and uh, I was stuck there for three days. But there's all sorts of cyclists and walkers coming there from all over the world. And I, I just hung around in this hostel chatting to everybody and I was having a whale of a time. I remember <laughs> just as I was leaving, there was a group of three walkers uh, from Ireland. They stopped me and said, uh, what are you doing? And I said, I'm, I'm kayaking. And one of them goes, oh, you're kayaking around Ireland, are you? Kind of as a bit of a joke. <laughs> and I said, I said, yes. <laughs> it all burst into laughter. But as, as I left Dingle, I had a, fam- a Basque family and a, there's a couple of families kind of waving me goodbye because I've been talking to them about what I've been doing and stuff. And yeah, I'd made a connection. I absolutely loved that experience. And uh, I sat out and it was, a, it was, you know, it was starting to get a bit rough. And I was heading for Blasket Sound because Blasket Island is a, is an island right down on the southwest of uh, Ireland. It's, right. it's the start of the West Coast. Yes. And uh, it's got a bit of a fearsome reputation. And I had no intention of going on the island because uh, I, I don't do scary stuff if I can avoid it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but as, as it so happened, as, as, I, as I approached uh, the corner of Ireland, as it were, the, the beach on the island looked, looked much more attractive than my planned stop and, and the sand looked okay. So I just whizzed over there. And as I approached the island, this there's a kind of quarter of a mile long sandy beach and I was thinking why is there a line of rocks kind of you know, halfway along the island but they're not at the top of the beach they're kind of halfway down the beach it's kind of a really weird place to put rocks and as I, as I got nearer I realized it was a massive sea seal colony mm. apparently one of the biggest uh, in Europe actually and because the weather was a bit bit rough that day there was no tourist boats coming there so normally tourists come along and kind of disperse them a bit so they weren't being dispersed so it was quite quite a display so i stopped there for lunch oh i kind of crash landed a bit it's a bit wavy mm. and uh then i saw a couple of people coming up to me i thought oh i'm in trouble <laughs> probably shouldn't have stopped here and and it was emily and her cousin jack and uh, emily's the warden of the island okay uh, and I was checking up her, checking up on her. I, I still keep in contact with her now on uh, Instagram. She was just met by Leo Bardaker or whatever he is, the, the Prime Minister of Ireland. Because okay. I think they, they're quite celebrities out there you know, living on this island uh, that's uninhabited during the winter. Uh, they kind of look after it during the summer, and there's a couple of places where you can stay and day trips go there. But anyway, there was eight people on the island and Emily had noticed that there was now nine. <laughs> and she she said she thought we'd seen a ghost. So she came over and started kind of quizzing me on what was going on, what was going on. And I said, I'm I'm kind of going that way and I'm gonna I'm gonna you know, land somewhere. And she said, Do you do you, do you want a shower and a meal and a bed for the night? <laughs> so I, I said, Yes, please. And uh, I ended up staying a couple of nights there and by the end of it, we were we were old friends, and it was just uh, it was just such a magical experience. You know, it's not something you plan on. Uh, yeah, 
and it's not something that normally happens to people like me. So I absolutely loved it. Wonderful. Well, so tell us about the weather. Uh, well, uh, so after the initial three weeks, the island is a sort of windbreak for the British Isles. Yeah. <laughs> and if you get the jet stream pointy island, it's like a, a gun that fires low pressure systems island continuously. Now, normally, every once in a while, every two or three weeks, a high-pressure system comes in and it gives up. But because of global warming and the weakening of the jet stream, it's starting to get stuck. So it basically got stuck for the, the next two months. So there weren't any high-pressure systems. There wasn't any let-up. And the only let-up was when you get a ridge of high-pressure, which would maybe last a day and a half at the most. And other than that, it was pretty windy. And in July, they had 213% of rainfall compared. It was the wettest, <laughs> the wettest month they'd ever had, which for Ireland is pretty wet. Yeah. And of course, that coincides with the time that you're there. Yes. <laughs> but I, I don't want to make such a big deal of the weather because, well, I did get stuck at one place for 10 days, which I suppose is quite bad. But a lot of the time in places where I really wanted to do my thing, which is having a poke around in caves and uh, right up close, mm -hmm. uh, I was lucky enough to have good or, or decent conditions for me to be able to do that. And, and the other thing that I wanted out of this trip was, you know, a bit of experience. So, because the other ones have just been too easy. Okay. Uh, so when I was stuck underneath a fishing boat for, for a day and a half, because it literally didn't stop raining for the whole time, I, I actually quite enjoyed it because it's different. I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I was quite comfortable and I managed to kind of keep my sleeping bag dry. So uh, if you contrast my style of going around, I think I've got a lot of things going for me. Sure. In terms of most people that do surfing nav navigations are a lot younger so they've, they've almost certainly got time and money constraints so i had neither and i wasn't setting out to break any records or anything like that so i could just take my time mm -hmm. and the more the more i got into it the more i realized that uh, having a break somewhere was an opportunity for uh, meeting people having to look around and it absolutely enhance the adventure and and it's a contrast as well because if you're doing you know if you're just paddling non-stop for 84 days you know it's it's not going to be as good as if you have a break every now and again yeah it's that simple yeah. yeah stop and experience the experience the place that you're in no abs absolutely so what did you encounter that you were not prepared for along the way that i was not prepared for uh that's an interesting question. I suppose I, I wasn't, I wasn't ready for how friendly people were. I wasn't expecting the islands to be quite so interesting. Uh, another thing that I've learned from listening to the paddle, paddling the blue is, you know, it's depending on, on your experience and, and how confident you are. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was reasonably confident, even though 
I've not got a lot of, you know, compared to some people. I've only been sea kiting for three years now, but I, I felt fairly confident. And I think by not doing too much research, not doing too much preparation, you just sometimes turn the corner and you say, oh my goodness, I didn't know that was there. And having that kind of novelty when you, you're not expecting it is, is just, it's just so joyful sometimes. Uh, just just coming across people and places that I had, I'd never imagined I'd meet or uh, didn't know were there. That was, that was the best thing. So, so things like, for instance, the cliffs of Moa, you know, mm -hmm. I knew about those, they're, they're you know, uh, the X highest cliff cliffs in Europe. Yeah. I mean, they were great, but I had an expectation for them, you see, whereas OE Island or the North coast of County Mayo, I, you know, I, if I'd done my research, I'd have known they're pretty awesome places, but I hadn't. So it was a surprise and that was great. And we've all, you know, all, but you know, many of us have seen them from the land, but to then experience something like that from the water is just a completely different perspective. Going around the coast is, is an education in, in geography, which I never did at school, I wish <laughs> I had, but it's so many of these headlands are in the process of becoming islands. Uh, for yeah. instance, the Mizzen Head uh, has got a bridge across it. If you want to get to the end from the land, mm. that's because it's, uh, you know, it's slowly being washed away from the sea. So you start to kind of spot the patterns of these things and all the islands have got exposed rocky uh, west coasts, coasts and then they slope down to sandy, beachy uh, east coast most of the time. But every now and again, every now and again, there's a, an island or a piece of coast that doesn't look that interesting until you get close up and then suddenly it reveals its secrets and... Uh, that you know that you know even though all the locals have been there lots of times before it's your first time coming across it and that's what makes it special what would you say was the most unexpected surprise uh i think it was well after i'd spent a day and a half under the fishing boat when it rained <laughs> uh now i think this is the, the north coast coast of mayo i set off and it was raining and it was a little bit foggy. I set off around the corner to uh, a northerly facing bit of coast. And I, I didn't really know what to expect apart from it was a bit exposed and there was big cliffs. And it was just a nonstop wonderland because I, I like caves and I like sea stacks. So it had those in abundance. But what I've never really experienced before <laughs> In fact, it was tipping down with rain. Was just loads of waterfalls. Yeah, normally, I'd, I I experience these things. You know, if if you go out at home. I, in fact, this is one of the things about uh, a circumnavigation, is even though you might, you know, the way I do it, you're not kind of risking life and limb if you can help it. But you are going out in conditions that you normally wouldn't go out in. Mm -hmm. you know, if if I was going along a exposed kind of 10 miles of cliff at home, I'd wait until it was, you know, forced to, and it was, the sun was shining 
and there was no swell. But in this case, you know, you, you don't go out when it's raining. But it, it was calm, so I was getting close. So I was I was going under waterfalls into caves, and the the mist was kind of the fact you couldn't see clearly. It was a heartening experience, and, and you're alone, of course, mm-hmm. in the middle, absolute middle of nowhere. Yeah, that 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 day will stick with me forever. So, what advice would you have for a would-be Ireland circumnavigator? Well, I I've got kind of advice that I would give for any circumnavigator. So right. I know you're going to ask me that, so I was ready for it. <laughs> so, the the first thing is is to start small. Like you know, some people have you know, some people have literally got up one morning and said, "I'm going to paddle around this," and and they've done it. Yeah, but uh, I think they're missing out doing that because you know, it, as soon as you start preparing for it, you're starting that adventure, you're starting that journey, and all the research and 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 the the trips and uh, leading up to that and the courses and meeting people, that's all part of it as far as I'm concerned. So anyway, for me, having a plan worked out really well, and I, I enjoyed that build up, and. The second thing is, is to make it your own, that there are kind of, you know, paddle around Vancouver Island or paddle around Britain or paddle around Ireland. Mm-hmm. There's, there's probably lots of variations you could do on that that might not necessarily involve going the whole way around or, it, you know, you can do stuff differently. Sure. So have a think about that. And uh, the other thing is, is to look at the resources that are available to you in terms of that's what i've done i've started started literally on my back back doorstep with paddling around cornwall and southern england Mm -hmm. and you know staying in the british isles and 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 look at your particular characteristics you know if if you haven't got a solid role don't go paddling around ireland maybe go to the mediterranean or you know somewhere where you've got uh no tides, something like that. So that's that's the advice I've got. So tell us about your boat. Uh, my boat is a Tide Race 17, which is sort of similar to the uh, Turan mm-hmm. uh, in terms of it's a plumb nose boat. And it was it was a bit of a kind of, uh, I, I considered it a Turan when I bought a boat for doing this. I like the tide race because it's got bigger hatches. Okay. Uh, and you spend a lot of time putting stuff in and out of hatches on one of these trips. What's a one must-have piece of a kit that you brought with you? I've got, got four you can take a pick. All right. <laughs> so, firstly, I've got an X-Sped uh, inflatable mattress because I hate sand. <laughs> and this, this mattress is about three inches thick when it's inflated. And I, I've, I've camped on stones as big as footballs before with it and had a good night's sleep. So nice. that's, that's essential for me. The second thing is waterproof socks. I didn't want to take a great pair of boots in the boat. So I've just got a pair of sandals. And if it's wet, I put my waterproof socks on. So they do for hot weather and, and wet weather. And that, they worked. I love my GPS watch. Not so much because you can record your journeys, because you can, and that's great. But it's my, if it's rough, and you're going to do a section of the coast, 
uh, I like to keep it really simple. So what I do is say, okay, it's exposed cliffs or whatever, but I command at 5K and 10K. And with my watch, I can say, I can always look at my watch. It's on my wrist. It's not on my buoyancy aid or whatever. Mm -hmm. Just keep a look at how far I've gone and say, okay, I've gone 5K. Let's have a look. Because quite often these these landing spots are pretty hard to spot, particularly if you're half a mile out and bouncing up and down. So that's essential. And the other thing the watch is for is is speed. Because if you're caught in some sort of tide race, you might think you're going somewhere and, and you're not. <laughs> or conversely, you might be into a headwind, but the tide's with you and you think you're not going really fast and you are going very fast. So I find that very useful. And finally, as I mentioned, uh, me wheels. Okay. Uh, so that they're the Scottish company called Carry Kayak Carrier Systems. I've got the Pro Explore trolley, which has not let me down. Uh, and I've, you know, I, I I could quite happily do ten miles with a, <laughs> a fully loaded boat if I had to, which is you know is is nice to know. But I, so there you go. All right. your boots with that. Oh, that's great. What did you bring along and not use? First aid kit. Okay, that's good. Well, the, the most, in, in my my opinion, because I don't I don't go out in conditions where I don't you know, don't think it's sensible. The most the biggest danger for me is injuring yourself, getting the boat in and out of the water. Mm-hmm. Because it's pretty crazy mad. You've got this really heavy boat that you cannot lift, and you've got some of the most awful terrain, and it's covered in seaweed. Yeah, I so, would agree. Uh, and the second thing is is you know burning yourself on stoves. Because I've countless stories of uh, people who've spilt hot water over yourself. So those are a couple of things you've got to really watch out for. So. Where can people learn more about you and your trip? The best place to go to is uh, Facebook and to look for Kayak de Melza. Where did the name Kayak de Melza come from? Well, my first kayak was called Madame Cholet because I was uh, I was going around Cornwall uh, for surface against sewage and picking up rubbish. Mm -hmm. And there used to be a television program called the Wombles, and in the 60s in the UK, and these little Wombles went around Wimbledon Common picking up rubbish. They were years ahead of their time. <laughs> and one of the female characters was Madame Cholet. So so that, that was Madame Cholet. So when it came to na naming Demelza, I went through all the Womble names, and I, I couldn't find any female ones I liked. So I thought I'd be boring, and I picked a Cornish name, and Demelza comes from a historical novel and television series called Poldark. And uh, Demelza is the long-suffering wife of the hero of that, uh, that television program. And another name, um, not necessarily a boat name, but uh, St. Petrick's. Tell us about St. Petrick's. Well, St. Petrick's is a, a charity uh, that helps homeless people get back on their feet. And particularly in a place like Cornwall, which uh, has got no industry apart from the tourist industry. And you've got uh, lots of incomers that are pushing up the prices of 
housing so it's unaffordable you've basically got a lot of poverty and homelessness in some of the most beautiful areas of the country and uh, they're trying their best to to help people uh, so i think it's a very worthy cause excellent well i will make sure that we uh, have links in the show notes to kayak de melsa as well as saint patrick's so folks can learn more and, and check those out that would be very kind of you john yeah now, you had also um, had another name, uh, Shamrock Loop. Oh, yes. Well, yeah, I've just gone and changed that. I don't know whether you've noticed that. I did. Uh, three just... uh, three capitals kayak, I think it is. Yes. So, uh, well, I might as well announce what my next plan is. All right. So, plan A was to go around, uh, go around Britain. Uh, now, what <laughs> interesting, when I was going around Ireland, the Dougal was going around Britain. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, when I say the Dougal, that's a, a young young man called Dougal Glazer. Yes. Uh, who is an absolute phenomena. And he started three days after me and 40 days after he started, he had done, I don't know, two or three times the distance I did <laughs> in the whole 84 days. Yeah, he was flying. Uh, and it was, it was quite amusing. I, <laughs> I, I was following him on my trip and I'd, I'd wake up in the morning I'd still be in bed at kind of eight o'clock or nine o'clock and I'd look him up and he would he'd already have done the same distance as I do all day <laughs> I even got up. so uh I stuff yes so I was thinking uh, do I want to do Britain in a hurry and my experience from going around Ireland is you know have, having the time to explore having having the time to, at a whim, because I didn't ask it, answer your question, why I did the Isle of Man. The Isle of Man just came into my head right near the end. I thought, I don't want to paddle back to Scotland because it's I've done that, been there, done it. Well, as this Isle of Man would be really cool. And the chances are uh, I might n- never get the chance to do it again. So, so I did it, uh, which added an extra, much to the consternation of my wife, added an extra two weeks on the trip. Ah. And, uh, but the absolute freedom to be able to do things like that is just, it's just marvellous. And you don't get that many other places or many other occasions. So I, I decided I wanted to do Britain in two halves so I could uh, give it a fair crack, uh, particularly Scotland. I didn't want to rush around Scotland. So I've decided that next year I'm going to start in London, go east, go up to Edinburgh. There's a canal that goes to Glasgow and then paddle all the way home to Cornwall. And okay. incidentally, that means going anti-clockwise, which will be, uh, you know, add a bit of spice to it, according to John Willisey any, anyway, because the, it makes the, makes the conditions around uh, estuaries and things a bit trickier. So that also means that if I if I survive that, I'll be able to do Scotland, give it the time it deserves. You know, probably still not the time it deserves. And it also means that the kind of the time when the, all the the birds are nesting, because that's one of the things I, I I missed going around Ireland is by the time I got to the west coast, all the birds had uh, finished their nesting and things like that. So that was a bit of a shame. Well, we will certainly be following that one as well. And since we're on the topic. So how did social media fit into all this for you? Well, I've been listening 
just before this interview, I was listening to Blazing Paddles guy, yeah. uh, Brian Wilson. Yeah. And that was that was fascinating because, you know, he actually suggested if you wanted to get an experience, anything like his, you know, you don't have comms equipment at all. But the other thing I noticed, he was pretty scared a lot of the time. So the experience he had was was so different to mine. I don't want to challenge myself in terms of scaring myself silly. But what I found, I, I didn't really set out to become a social media type whatever. But I, I just kept coming across experiences that I enjoyed so much i wanted to share them and i had nobody to share them with you see what i mean mm -hmm. uh, but i also love taking photographs you see so i was taking the photographs and uh i i love editing and compiling them and it's it's my diary of, of of what i do but so often it's it's hard to take good photographs of rocks and sea and stuff because if you're not there and you don't have the full Audrey's smell and uh, you get a little a little a little photograph gives you two percent of the experience right it, it photographs flatten everything out and it just you you miss the experience you could make it better by taking a video it's still you know you, you get up to ten percent rather than hundred percent but uh, so I, I just got into the habit of doing these little videos <laughs> and I, uh, and the way I do it is I just what I found was I used to kind of think I'm going to say this and this and this, and I'd switch the phone on and then I'd switch it off when I'd recorded it. And I never, never stuck to script. <laughs> so, so now I just, I just switch it on and I say whatever comes to mind and I switch it off again. And then I, I never review it. I just post it out. I get it out of the way and then it's done and dusted. Cause I think if I kept looking at them, I'd probably stop, but it's only the occasional, little bit of feedback that says we love your videos keep doing them keeps me going mm -hmm. and every every now and again i need a bit more encouragement because i nearly stop again but uh i've got a bit of a, a kind of dual personality I, I can be quite quite low sometimes and very introverted but i can kind of swing into very kind of loud and brash and and confident so there's, there's those two alter egos. So there's Mike, which is the normal me. When I went along with Scott Wood and his his gang in the ocean kayaks, he's Woody, and there's a guy called Sharky, and I became Mikey. Okay. So when I start when I started at the start of his video, I said, well, "What do you say at the start of the video?" And all I was Mikey, <laughs> just coming to a head. So that's become my um, uh, catchphrase sort of thing, and my my whole family will go. Who the heck is Mikey? You've never been called Mikey in your whole life. So that's my kind of alter ego. It's like when Spider-Man puts his spider suit on. And I put <laughs> me kind of Mikey hat on. And uh, yeah, that does help, actually. You know, if I'm meeting somebody, I think, well, I'm not Mike. I'm Mikey. I'm going to I'm going to say hello to them. I'm not, not going to hide in the corner. I see. So you kept a... Um or you created at least, I don't know if you kept it along the way, I can't recall, um, a Google map that shows your route and has the videos inserted at those key points where the video occurred. And I just found that fascinating. So I will make sure that I put that in the show notes as well. Oh, great. Yes, yes. That took me about three or four days to put together. 
after I got back because uh, it's yeah, it's a big data entry thing. But it really frustrated me that I had, you know, forget about anyone else. Just for me to go back to look at a particular day, you've got to scroll back pages and pages and pages. It's just not the right format for presenting things. So putting on a map means you can just whisk to it. And if you're interested in one particular area, so that's the way to do it is, is you do a kind of day to day journal and that's great for people following you in real time. But once it's done, if you can put it on a map, it's a journey. So a map is the way to present that information. Yeah, I, I love that. Brilliant. Well, cheers. So you've already referred one guest, uh, but now that you're also a guest, who else would you like to hear as a future guest on Paddling the Blue? Oh, uh, well, again, I'm going to give you three for the price of one. Oh, fantastic. Uh, so, well, I've already mentioned one, which is which is uh, Scott Wood or Woody, mm -hmm. who, uh, uh, well, to sum him up, on his 60th birthday, because he's the same age as me, he decided to run 60 miles and he didn't do it around a track. He did it along the coast of Cornwall. So in my book, that is totally insane. He is a hard man and he's been at this game since he was five, apparently. Uh, so I'm sure he's chock full of uh, stories and I'd like to hear some of them. Fantastic. So secondly, again, one of the great things about paddling around Ireland was meeting people who had also previously paddled around Ireland. And I met a chap I'd never even heard of. I'm going to forget his name now, <laughs> Robert Henshaw, mm -hmm. who was the second man to paddle around Ireland. So he did it old style without Facebook and all that malarkey. But he's, he's also done it four t another three times in different craft. So he's one of the very few people that's able to compare and contrast circumnavigation in different craft. So that's pretty awesome. I'm looking forward to that one. And finally, there's Katie Carr, which is an absolutely extraordinary story, and I shan't, shan't give it away, but basically she has written a book based on the kayak adventures of her brother, and I'm not allowed to read it yet because I'm getting it for my birthday, which I don't know. And <laughs> <laughs> We won't but tell anybody. <laughs> yeah, according to the reviews on, uh, uh, that I've seen, it's a cracking book, and... Uh, so yeah, uh, I, I, we met her and we, we we were meant to go out paddling when I was stuck in Kilkee, but unfortunately it was a force eight gale. Uh, that's another story from another time. Maybe she'll tell you about that. All right. <laughs> well, yeah, her book. Um, I've not had a chance to read it yet as well. Uh, Moderate becoming good later, but that's uh, the story of her brother's trip uh, to paddle the shipping forecast. Yes, oh. yes. Uh, you know, it's uh, at the heart of it. It's a very fat, sad story, but uh, absolutely fascinating. And, uh, yeah, it was an absolute pleasure to meet her. And, which, yeah, it's just a, a microcosm of, of all the fantastic people that uh, I met. My trip, you could describe as a solo unsupported because there wasn't a van following me. But I like to think of it as being a supported trip because... You know whether I wanted it or not, people were you know offering to help me, and uh, I kind of had to drop my pride and start accepting things, and uh, I loved that. It's a great learning experience. 
Yeah, absolutely. Good. I mentioned earlier that you'd already referred one guest. So uh, just for our listeners' reference, um, we just recently heard from uh, Rupert Kirkwood on episode 95. And or when you were talking earlier about um, Dingle, uh, that's actually where you connected with me the first time and uh, made the referral to Rupert Kirkwood. So thank you for, for that. And I will look forward to talking with Scott and Katie and Robert as well. And it's been fantastic talking with you and learning about your trip and all the buildup that goes along with it. And we'll be following your future journeys as well. Okay, John. Uh, thank you. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure. I can't believe it's over already. <laughs> well, thank you. If you want to be a stronger and more efficient paddler, Power to the Paddle is packed with fitness guidance and complete descriptions along with photos of more than 50 exercises to improve your abilities and enjoy your time on the water. The concept and exercises in this book have helped me become a better paddler and they can make a difference for you too. The exercises in the book can help you reduce tension in your shoulders and low back, use the power of your torso to create leverage and use less energy with each stroke, use force generated from your lower body to make your paddling strokes more efficient, have the endurance to handle long days in the boat, drive through the toughest waves or whitewater, protect your body against common paddling injuries, and while you're at it, you might even lose a few pounds, and who wouldn't mind that? So visit paddlingexercises.com to get the book and companion DVD. I really love sharing all the stories of each paddler who joins the show. A big thank you goes out to every one of our guests to date and to those to come. Now, Mike is not a professional paddler. He's an everyday paddler, just like you and I, who decided he wanted to do something and set his paddles in motion. So a big congratulations, Mikey. We'll be watching your next trip. Now, as I mentioned in the interview, Mike actually referred me to a previous guest, Rupert Kirkwood. And when Mike referred me to Rupert, Mike was in Dingle, Ireland, waiting out the weather. I'd been following his trip under the name Shamrock Loop, but I didn't know that Mike was Shamrock Loop. So when Rupert then referred me back to Mike as a future guest, I then made the connection. So kind of fun. Thanks again to our partners, Level 6 and Online Sea Kayaking, for extending special offers just for you. If you'd like to pick up some great Level 6 dryware or other kit, just visit their website at level6.com. Use the coupon code PTBPODCAST at checkout for 10% off your order. And visit onlineseekayaking.com to take advantage of the great video programming from James and Simon and other talented guests, including previous guests of Paddling the Blue. Again, just enter the code PTBPODCAST at checkout and you'll get 10% off just for being a member of the Paddling the Blue community. Our next guest is Esther Wheeler. And Esther is a driven endurance athlete, or as she calls herself, an accidental athlete. Today we'll get a fascinating glimpse into the mind of an endurance athlete and how she manages herself before, during, and after an event. Until next time, thanks again for listening, and I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Paddling the Blue. Thank you for listening to Paddling the Blue. You can subscribe to Paddling the Blue on Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Please take the time to leave us a five-star review on Apple Music. We truly appreciate the support. And you can find the show notes for this episode and other episodes, along with replays of past episodes, contact information, and more at paddlingtheblue.com. Until next time, I hope you get out and paddle the blue.